most common for entrepreneurs to get featured is to align yourself as a subject matter expert or thought leader in whatever area your current company is focused in. So you need to start thinking of yourself as that expert because that will give you more opportunities to help a producer out and to play a role in the content that they put out. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Did you know that I love helping entrepreneurs like you scale and grow your business efficiently to enable revenue and profits to grow faster so you can enjoy the fruits of your labor more fully? I use real-world experience of owning and running a profitable multi-million dollar company that has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three years in a row. That coupled with studies at Babson College, the Entrepreneurial Master's Program at MIT and Harvard gives me the unique ability to help entrepreneurs see your blind spots and move over the road bumps faster. I help entrepreneurs like you break through your plateau and reach higher levels of achievement. For more information, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Annie Scranton started Pace PR in 2010 and has since grown it into a multi-million dollar business with more than 40 clients spanning the globe and 10 employees in multiple office locations. Now let's get right into it. I was producing for Donnie Deutsch's show on CNBC way back, like 2007, 2008, and his show got canceled. And so when it got canceled, I found myself without a job, very unexpectedly, no money in my bank account, you know, at age 27, 28, whatever. And I sent out an email to everyone in my network saying, I just lost my job, show got canceled. If you know of anything, please let me know. And a publicist who I had worked with often booking his clients to do interviews with Donnie emailed me back and said, I don't think you have experience in PR, but if you would like to help me and see if you could get my current client booked on any show on CNBC, I'll compensate you and we could see how it goes. And his client like had written a, he was a trader. He had written a book on the markets and I brought it to my friend who was producing for a day side show on CNBC. And she said, Oh, he looks great. Can he come on next week? And like that was when sort of my light bulb moment went off that maybe because of my background and connections, I could pivot and sort of go in a different direction in my career. And you started your company as a solopreneur. How long were you doing all of this by yourself? For about two years before I hired my first employee. You know, it was like total traditional entrepreneur story, like in my studio apartment by myself all day with my computer and my phone. And that was it. And there were just so many days where the only person I would see was like the delivery guy. But I just look back on all of those days with such fondness because I loved it and it was so fun and rewarding and cool and interesting and exciting to try something new. And I mean, I worked like 15 hour days 
all the time. But if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work so much. And so, yeah, about two years where it was just me before I brought on my first And how offer. did you feel about hiring an employee? And what steps did you take to learn how to find someone, how to interview them, how to qualify them? It was really hard and scary. I think the hardest part was just reconciling, okay, like now I'm going to be responsible for somebody's salary and their livelihood and everything. But I took my time, meaning I knew that it was a point where I just could not do it all myself anymore. And there was enough money coming in where I said, okay, I'm just going to go for it and make it work. Thankfully, just through my own network, I was able to find people to hire Working in TV and media, people are always in between jobs and waiting for the next gig. So that part was easier for me. And then luckily, I was able to lean on a client who is an attorney to help me just sort of find a payroll company and this and that, just things that I had never even given a second thought to before I started the business. Right. There are so many things that go into running a business as an entrepreneur that you don't really think about because you're passionate about what you're good at doing. Your skill was publicity, right? And media. Your skill was not building a company. And it's like that for most entrepreneurs. Yeah. I had never taken a business class. I went to a liberal arts school, an English major, and not even terribly good with finances up until that point in my life. But I just kind of like crowdsourced just different people that I knew and friends and colleagues and parents of friends and just kind of got as much advice as I could. I'll be honest with you, running the business part of what I do 11 years later is still my least favorite part. I like the work. I like being a publicist. I like pitching the media and doing all and talking to clients and all the stuff that that entails. But the business part, it's a, if you it's don't have challenge. your business in order, then you can't do the work. So you have Would to you make consider it work. bringing in a CEO so that you can remain the visionary and creative and do the working in the business rather than yes. the day to day managing of. people and accounts. and I think about it every day and want to do that in so many instances. We never took like funding or went the investment route. And so still in some ways feel like we're scrappy in terms of just the business part of it. But yeah, I think it's actually now 11 years later, I think we're at that point where some of those conversations will need to be had and will ultimately benefit the company. But it's a little scary too, because we've been successful up to this point, kind of always doing things the same way. But I also know that in order to really grow, you have to make changes, but it's scary (laughs) to do that. Yeah, it is scary. Thank you for saying that out loud. A lot of people think, oh, she's got the successful business and she's got this many employees and this many clients and she's got it made. That is not necessarily always the whole truth. So I'd love to ask you in your business right now, who is one, if you can say, of your most exciting current client projects and what successes have you landed for them? There's so many to choose from, but I would say on a personal level, we are really proud and feel honored to represent Fast Company and Inc. Magazines are two of our clients two brands that I always look to when I was producing and try and pitch and then pitching our clients. You work closely um, with Eric or? Eric Sherberg, of course. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. So he's the best. I was lucky enough to just meet him at like a networking dinner type of thing. And that's how it came to be. 
But I think we've really helped to elevate their brands through various TV placements by pitching their writers and reporters for different podcasts and radio shows, but by also bringing a lot of visibility to the different conferences that they host. And then of course, with Eric, he recently has launched his LinkedIn live show, The Human Factor. And so we were played a big part in that as well. And so that was cool to do something kind of different for a client and help them launch that. That's great. I didn't know that you did that with them. And I'm pretty closely meshed in their system as an Inc. 5000 recipient. And I speak for them and I'm actually doing something online with them next week. So small world. Small world. Small world keeps getting smaller. (laughs) I hope the listeners know we did not set that up ahead of time. That was totally organic. (laughs) So you are willing to talk about how entrepreneurs can get themselves on the TV and media without necessarily hiring a publicity firm like yours. So let's hear it. What are the tips and tricks and strategies? The first thing I would say is that you need to have a very clear brand message. And you need to just understand how to explain your company in 30 seconds. And if you can't do that, go to work and figure out how to be able to tell your story effectively. You have to be able to know what makes you different, unique, and what is sort of the return on investment that a reporter and then subsequently the person at home watching is going to get after hearing from you. There's a few ways to get on TV in particular. The first step I would say is to focus on local TV outreach as a stepping stone. It can be local to where you live currently or to where you went to college or to where you grew up. So think of those sort of different markets. And the first step is to do research on the actual TV network that you are going to try to pitch yourself to. Sounds so basic and generic, but Every local network has their own different way of doing things. And some of them have like a local hero spotlight, you know, segment that they do every week, or they have a weekend morning show where they have more of a focus on entrepreneurs or local business owners. So do your research and figure out what's the best segment and then subsequently producer reporter to pitch yourself to there. The other way that I think is most common for entrepreneurs to get featured is to align yourself as a subject matter expert or thought leader in whatever area your current company is focused in. So for example, in PR, if there's sort of a celebrity crisis or something, I could potentially pitch myself as someone to be like, JLo needs to do this differently in order to, you know, whatever. So just think of yourself that if you're a tech entrepreneur and Apple is launching some big new product or something like that, you need to start thinking of yourself as that expert because that will give you more opportunities to help a producer out and to play a role in the content that they put out. Okay. So we have done the research. We've figured out what segments, reporters, et cetera, et cetera, that we want to go for. Two things. One is how do you get their contact information? And two, what's the best way to pitch to them? And I'm going to preface this by saying it probably isn't with a press release. No, don't, don't say, (laughs) sorry, my head just exploded. No. So first question first, you can find their contact information 
very easily in a very simple Google search. So if their information isn't right on the affiliate website, like wabc.com or whatever, go on LinkedIn and just search the affiliate. Everyone will pop up. Everyone's on LinkedIn. Look for them on Twitter. Most people have their emails and their Twitter. So it's not hard to find. Actually, I would say that most media prefers to be pitched over email. No one wants to get called anymore. So send an email. When you're sending an email, my recommendation would be to first start with a one or two lines about another segment, another story that they did recently and saying like, hi, Natasha, I really enjoyed watching you report on X. My family and I really got a kick out of one particular part of your segment. If you are covering other stories in the area that pertain to insert your area of expertise, I would love to be considered as a resource to you. I'm available for sound bites. I can help make introductions, et cetera, et cetera. If you have something specific you're promoting, like a launch or an initiative, my recommendation would be, I'm launching this new thing. I'm including a press release below my signature. So if you care to read more, there's more information. That's great. So the key is find them on the internet. There's really no excuse to not be able to find this person. There's a lot of research and homework to do in advance. You could have a virtual assistant or somebody doing some of that research for you. And then second of all, the pitch needs to be to the point, conversational short, and then put that press release down. Like that is not the forefront. And I think people... They don't understand media. They don't understand pitching. They aren't really thinking about the human consumption of information are going to miss that point. Okay. I was just going to say that every journalist or producer is a person. And so are you as a person going to respond to it? It's not a machine that you can just feed something into (laughs) and then... Exactly. And so make it personal. It's a real person on the other end getting that email. The other thing to remember too is producers and journalists are getting literally hundreds of pitches every single day and they're inundated. And sometimes they think publicists or people pitching themselves are annoying and do it too much and they're not wrong necessarily. So think about how you can help them. How can you make their lives easier? Take yourself and your own ego out of the equation because the journalist doesn't owe you a story. They're not required to write on whatever you're doing. So think of how to just make their lives easier, make a connection, and then slowly in time, hopefully that will build and that trust will build. So don't expect an email reply that said, you know what? you're spot on. Let's get you on. It is a relationship building exercise, correct? One million percent. And to that point, also something that I do all of the time is I will see on LinkedIn or Insta or Twitter, do I have any mutual connections to this specific journalist I'm trying to reach out to? And if I do, and I'm close to that mutual connection, reach out to them first and be like, how do you know, Natasha? Like whatever. And then because a warm introduction is going to go a million times further than just a cold email. Have you been surprised at some of the responses from the media to your pitches since you've been in the industry for 11 years? Has anything taken you by surprise? Have you ever landed something with just one pitch and you're done? Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but absolutely it does. A lot of it though is like timing. So it's when a story for us, we pitch a lot of our clients to cable news networks and financial news networks. So if there's a big breaking story that happened and we send out a pitch 
within 30 minutes on our client. That's really great. Yeah. We've gotten major national TV interviews that like happen. when crypto takes a dip or Ethereum. When or like something- they exactly or like when the GameStop stuff was happening a couple months ago. That was one example. You know, it was so a week of- later is probably a week too late. It's way too late. And that's part of it too, because a producer wants to know that they're working with a publicist who understands the news cycle and who gets it. And so if you send a pitch on a news event that happened a week before, you're going to look so dumb to them. You're going to look like you don't know how the news works. And so even if sometimes it's better to get a pitch out that's not maybe exactly perfect, but that's really, really timely, because especially in cable news, it's 24-7. And when there's breaking news, they may have had an entire show booked and planned out, but then they need to scrap it and find a new guest who can do it. And so that's a big part of, I think, the success that we have. So you guys have to be super scrappy and super fast. And do you have trouble sleeping? <laughs> yes. I mean, the anxiety <laughs> of being in a timely manner would maybe make me crazy. I mean, I was a TV producer for eight years. So it's a little bit in my blood and a little bit in my DNA. I'm always checking and getting updates and everything. But yeah, I mean, we have a team in place now where the burden isn't on just like one person all of the time. And also you have to be kind to yourself. I'm never going to hit every single story every single time in the exact right way. But the aligning yourself or your client as a subject matter expert or thought leader or commentator really works. It really, really works. And so if you can discipline yourself to try to get in that habit, the result is worth, you know, the lack of sleep and the sort of stress that goes with it. Right. So putting on your CEO hat today, what would you say running your business is really giving you a challenge? There's always something. So what is something that you really are trying to overcome in the business? A couple of things. One is to get some of our mid-level staffers to that next level because we are in a growth period. So figuring out how can I transition members of my team who have been more in a support capacity into leaders. And that I've done up to this point through sort of osmosis and having them sit in meetings with other senior leadership, et cetera. But um, feeling like there needs to be more of an element of structure or something in place to give that little extra boost. So that's something that's been on my mind. Development and training, perhaps. That's exactly right. That you're thinking, well, what development or training could I give them? Like, yes, what do you have there? any recommendations? <laughs> I need some. <laughs> I mean, it yes. really depends on the role. But yes, sometimes people can rise up through the ranks by absorbing and watching. But some people, as everyone learns and receives information differently, it'd be better for them to have a structured route to that path. And it is the maturity of a CEO to realize that's the next step and then find those solutions. And we've started to source or to try to source, I should say, some of those solutions, but it's harder than I thought it would be, actually, because while I am the CEO and we are a corporation and everything, I still think of myself as kind of like a startup. And so that's been a process over the course of the past decade or so is putting some of those processes in place. And I would say another just aspect that I'm always sort of wanting to get better at is 
figuring out how I can attract clients who are larger, but also who are willing to sign a longer agreement with us. I think, especially in light of the pandemic, so many of the companies that we work with or that we want to work with really understand that PR is something that needs to happen and that they need to make a commitment to, but they're gun shy about signing a year-long contract or sometimes even a six-month contract. And then it's very frustrating for me because every month I'm like, is this client going to resign? Are they going to stay? Do I need to find more? And so that's something that I'm hoping will even out a little bit. I want to ask you a question. I hesitated to do this because it might be somewhat controversial, but I'll start it out with this. I've been working with a recruiter and he's great. He's been amazing. I would basically pay whatever he asks, but his pricing model was a percentage of the starting salary of the person, right? And in San Francisco, starting salaries for some of these roles are $110,000, $150,000. So he has since changed his model because he does a lot of research on the front end and then he can come up with, you know, a few candidates and then you may or may not hire this person. And then he may or may not get paid right. for all the work that he's done. So he now has this model that is you pay him a little bit of a fee and then there's a smaller percentage and it's not based on the salary. It's based on salary ranges. Okay. So in publicity, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you pay upfront a monthly amount and you guys do all the work that you can do to get placements for this person, but there are no placements guaranteed whatsoever, right? You can't that's, do it, right? That's you can't, exactly right. You can't speak for the people you're trying to pitch for. As a potential hirer of a publicist, it would be so much better feeling. However, I can imagine it would be difficult for your PL if I paid a fee, a set fee that's significantly smaller. And then based on the types of placements I get, if you get me Good Morning America, $5,000, right? Or if you get me local TV news, $500, totally making this up. Does anyone work that way in your world? Only if you're just starting out or you're still like a solopreneur, like freelancer type, then, I mean, we have in some instances worked in sort of that success fee, but the issue is that once you get sort of established, it's just, you don't need to do that from like the business side. And obviously that's not the smartest approach like business. You'd rather just have the monthly retainer, you know what you're getting, et cetera. But we've had clients who as a way to motivate us to try to get the GMAs and whatever, we'll add in on top of our regular fee, this sort of success They fee. give you a little spiff. Absolutely. But I should say though that myself, I'm always open to different types of arrangements for how to work with people. And I would consider doing a smaller retainer fee and a success fee. But the issue becomes when you have many clients like we do, and everybody's paying around the same amount of money based on what they're doing, it gets harder to sort of justify putting the same time and staff behind someone who's paying a way smaller amount on the hopes you're going to get something. Because to your earlier point, we can't control what a journalist or a producer chooses to cover or not. So we have a great track record and know all the right people and know how to do it, but there's still no guarantees. So it gets trickier to take on that sort of model. Got it. Thank you for allowing me to <laughs> paint that potential picture. So the next thing I would love to know is when you started the year 
in January or whenever it is you actually started this year because pandemic kind of screwed up all planning. Was there a strategy that you were like, okay, Pace Public Relations, we're going to double down on this strategy to scale and grow our company? What was that? I have to say the answer to that is no. I did not start the year with a strategy. 2020 wound up being honestly our best year ever in terms of revenue and profit, which knocking wood right now, like was insane because it did not feel that way back in March and April of last year. But it's been crazy. It's been the highest highs and the lowest lows that I can remember from more than a decade of doing this. But it's interesting you asked me this question because I recently just hired a consultant who we're going to start working with in a couple of weeks, who's going to help us put together a growth strategy and some other of those sort of like business by the book things, documents that you should have in place because we're still scrappy. So we haven't done any of that, but we're at the point now where we just have to, because I'm not going to get to where I want to go if I keep doing everything the same way. But I think emotionally and internally, it's just still a struggle to accept that because it means changing things. And I'm like, but we've been doing great. Why do we need to change? And I'm like, no, we need to change. If you don't change your approach to that, your team isn't going to either. You're right. You're a hundred percent right. But like, what is this about in my brain that's stuck that it's so hard to make this change? I don't know know. what it is. It's comfort. It's the work, you know, so systems and process so important and able to scale. Like you have to have that and having an operating system for your company. I don't know if you're looking at EOS traction or scaling up or any of those things, but it makes such a difference, even with a team of 10, to have these things in place. And you can be the visionary and somebody else from your team should be the implementer, the person that makes it happen and keeps people accountable. Then you're off the hook. That sounds good. And you're right. It is comfort because up until now, the business has been great. Like it's been comfortable, but as an entrepreneur, I think you always are striving to do better. And I'm definitely at that point now. You have taken the best step you can in hiring a consultant to help you take you to the next level. You could have tried to do it yourself with reading books and blogs and such, but having somebody pull you through that, keep you accountable, see your blind spots, I was present just new gonna, ideas. It's the I best. was just going to say it's the accountability part. Honestly, that's like the biggest part because I can have all these ideas, but the execution, I don't know. But now I'm paying somebody. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to make sure this happens. We learned how entrepreneurs should position themselves as an expert in their field and how they can get themselves on TV and other media outlets and so much more. For more information about Annie and Pace PR, please go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.